Welcome to Marketers Talking Marketing. Today we are joined with Alex Connors, a special guest, I'll say, who actually used to, we, uh, you worked for me, we were coworkers, we're friends, we have a lot of intertwinings together, and Alex is building something really, really cool right now. And so we are going to talk all about customer and being customer obsessed and various components of customer-related things, because honestly, I think customer is like the hottest topic right now next to product-led growth. Um, Alex, why don't you tell everyone though a little bit about yourself and then we'll just jump into the conversation. Oh, I have an opinion on PLG, but we can get into that in a second. Hi, I'm Alex. I have spent my entire career working with startups, particularly in the network and infrastructure space. I am based in Manhattan. So in a teeny tiny apartment looking at the river right now at New Jersey. And I, yeah, worked for Jess, worked with Jess. We worked together at a company called NS1, which if you've seen the news lately, it's just been announced IBM has made moves to acquire them, which is really exciting to see. And yeah, I've, I've done, I would consider myself a marketing generalist, but where I've fallen in love the most is definitely with customers. I say all the time, if I could fly around the world and talk to customers all day, every day, it would be like a dream job. And it's, it's an interesting time to be in customer marketing because I think for the first time it's getting, getting a lot of attention in the series B, pre-series C world in a way that like 10 years ago, we really didn't see. Everyone was really focused on user acquisition, growth, 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 growth at all costs. And now all of a sudden it's, I mean, we saw it in the pandemic a little bit, but now more than ever with the economic stuff going on and brand storytelling, customer marketing has really taken kind of a front row seat. Yeah. I think the the metric that everyone talked about 10 years ago was just MRR and growth in your MRR. And it was all about recurring revenue. And now the top metric the metric that's top of mind for so many is net dollar retention, net retention rate. How how low are we getting our churn? Yes, I was almost inverted that. How low is churn? How do we keep customers? How do we keep them growing? How do we leverage referrals to grow more customer business? You know, it's all it's all customer focused because that cost of attracting a new customer is so much higher than retaining a current one. Yeah. Well, going back to what you said about PLG, a lot of converse. So right now I'm kind of in a consulting role working with startups and mid-stage companies on kind of where to invest their marketing money, how to grow a go-to-market function, whether you're talking marketing or like how to bridge that gap between marketing and sales. But a lot of the conversations that I have been privy to in the last six months is PLG is great if you have a great open source product. If you don't have a great open source product that eventually customers are willing to pay for, PLG can be really, really, really expensive, which leads us to customers. PLG, in I'm a big proponent of it, right? Because you're getting free user feedback, which we'll get into cabs a little later, but you're getting free user feedback in real time, right? But PLG has the tendency to really increase your CAC, your customer acquisition costs. 100%. And that's where retention comes in because you're like, okay, how do we actually grow revenue with our existing install base versus increasing the CAC that actually lowers your CAC over time? So that's my view on PLG and also the importance of importance of customer acquisition. There is a company I know that is running a product-led growth motion at the moment. 
And I've talked to a few people because there are ancillary, there, there's tech that competes for budget that doesn't directly compete with it. And I was talking to a few different companies and they said, yeah, you know, we decided to pause on this purchase because right now we want to try this other thing for free because it's free for 30 days. But they're all going to churn off at the end of the 30 days because they don't want to pay the fee. And they're like, we'll use it for 30 days. We'll get what we can get out of it. And then we're going to go and we're going to actually contract with this other platform. But we're just going to, it's 30 days. So we're going to give it a try, see what we can get. But they have no intentions of converting. So when I look at that, it's almost replacing your short-term benefit of that potential for this long-term benefit of actually maybe instead of doing a product like Growth Motion for your first 30 days, maybe you just adjust your process. Maybe you have a demo, like a trial period, have an opt out. You know, there's other mechanisms you can use to get someone there instead of running towards PLG. And when I, when I heard about it and started talking to some people who are trying it out, I was like, oh my God, your churn is going to be so high. And that is going to be really hard to explain (laughs) long term. Well, so, all right, let's talk raising money. SVB just collapsed about this time last week, yeah. right? So everyone raising money right now, it's a completely different market than it was two weeks 18 ago, months ago. Well, two <laughs> weeks ago, but really 18 months ago, yeah. right? Everyone cares about CAC. Everyone cares about, to your point, net retention rate. Here's something I think people miss and why PLG becomes so important and something people miss with PLG. And now we're having a separate conversation to customer marketing a little bit, but it's important for where we're going to talk about advocacy today too. If you have a PLG motion with a feedback loop to get real-time reviews from customers, it's 100% worth it. Mm. If you have a PLG motion with no mechanism to get feedback yeah. from customers that's automated, you're missing the opportunity to know how customers are using it. The places in my view that PLG is most critical or most valuable is when products are sticky. Yeah. And what people miss is they're not listening to how customers are actually using the product. So they don't always realize the stickiness of things. And look, this is a very common problem because let's look at a Series B company. How many people can really justify calling customers all the time outside of support to hear like the ancillary feedback from them? No one. It takes hours of time. If you're selling to developers, they don't even want to talk to you. They're never going to pick up the phone. (laughs) But I think that's one of the things that people miss in PLG is how do you get that automated feedback loop, whether it's public or internal? And I'm not talking about NPS scores. Yeah. I'm talking about quotes, good or bad. Yeah. Well, if you have a sticky product, you also don't need account management and a seller to do a QBR and remind you why you're buying, right? You're you're definitely, I think, in a much different situation for what you need for ongoing support to stay with the product. Yes. Unless oh. you're competing with free in a down oh, economy. Yeah. Well, competing against free sucks in general. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, Alex and I were at a company that the main competitor got acquired and then offered for free. And then we saw other competitors would take like our core product and have their version of it for free. And so going from you have a world where you have to pay for this product everywhere to it being just like a line item on a different purchase with no additional cost, that value you have to provide is so immense to get someone to start paying for you when they get you for free. 
you know? Well, this is where I think talking to customers becomes most important because what we saw in that situation too was as we talked to customers, yeah, it's free on paper. So procurement yeah. sees it as free. Yeah. But leadership doesn't because they know the cost of employees' time to run something that's older and more difficult and more challenging. So and lacking security features sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it puts you at risk in other ways. So I think this is something, I mean, we could talk about this for days, but there's so many things that are useful to get out of the customer in terms of how they're using the product to grow market share that a lot of people just miss the boat on. Is your go-to customer interviews and conversations and calls, or are you also leveraging tools where you can see the activities they're taking in the product and collect that data kind of in a, a secondary manner? I would say both. I think a lot of companies hesitate to put a pendo or something in early on because it's a big expense and you do need someone to run it, right? But... You can't put a price on there. Like it's invaluable to have a customer stand up in a room full of people or give you a video to post on your website that says like, I'm obsessed with this product. Yeah. It's changed my life. Right. But that's emotions. And I think the best customer stories come from a combination of emotions and data. So to your point, understanding the flow of how people are using the product and why gives you a lot more insight to things, because especially if you have like a product that is used by a lot of people across an organization, you're never going to talk to all 20 of those people. But if you can use a listening tool or something that's going to look at the workflow of how people are using the product, it's going to give you a complementary data-driven story to that emotional testimonial of why they like the product. And really, I mean, you know this, you are a data scientist to some degree, um, really the marriage of those two things is I think where yeah. you're going to tell, you tell a great story, like as a brand marketer, it's an amazing advocacy story as a CMO that might have to stand in front of a board or in front of investors. Now you have data around behavior. Oh yeah. You put a stat behind it. It has exactly. a different, it's a different level of penetration exactly. that you can get with that story. Like anyone can say, I love this product. When you sit there, Rollworks, I love Rollworks. I love Rollworks and I love Rollworks with intent data. And so there's a case study on the site. I think it's still up from when I used them at NS1. And we had a 69x return when using intent data for prioritizing accounts. That changes the story if you're talking about tangible return and impact on revenue versus just that I love the product because the team is great and the product's easy to use and you know X, Y, and Z in it. It definitely well, you go back changes to that retention. It. Yeah. You go back to the retention comment. When someone says oh, I, I love the product, but we need to cut costs. So we're not sure we're getting the value out of it. Where's the data? Yeah. 20 people on your team are spending every, they're starting every single day in the product to see what's happening. Of, their entire morning would be thrown off if you, well, I'd say morning as if everyone's not working all over the world at all times of the day. But like yeah. your team would be really upset if this went away and here's the data to prove it versus like, uh, yeah, it feels like a good idea. Yeah, a lot of attribution and data platforms are running into this challenge because really what they're doing is they're enabling you to understand your your campaign performance, asset performance, to make smarter decisions faster and all that. But there isn't necessarily like a hard ROI on it. It's hard yeah. to really tie it back versus saying, we know that if we increase our, if we double our LinkedIn budget, we're going to get a 1.8 times return on leads generated. You know, it's, yeah. it's harder 
to get there. When it comes to like, I love having a customer do the selling for you, customer referrals, customer introductions, using testimonials, all that as really driving, you know, having one of those customers tell us campaigns to lean into it. I think the hot, one of the hottest topics right now next to PLG, of course, is referral programs, getting customers to do introductions, making sure that as your customers move to new companies, you're following them and they're bringing you in. How do you, how can one go about standing up like a referral program for customers to try and really leverage the power of their positive affinity for your brand to drive more revenue for you? Well, I think referral programs are tough for companies because so many people have to be involved in them, right? So this is where having like your hotbed of customers that you know you can just call, you know their kids' names, you know when their dog dies, you know where they like to vacation, you got to check in with people. Calling those people to say like, hey, what would be enticing to you from a referral perspective, right? What would be interesting to you? What would drive you? Would it be credits? Would it be gifting, like that's one thing, right? You, you have to start with the person who's make, the person you're asking to do something to see like what would make them take an action, Yeah, right? We see this with advocacy too. Like why would you want to get on stage and talk about us? How can we make this more interesting for you? And then once you have that feedback from, you know, eight, 10 customers, depending on how many customers you have, of different sizes. This is another thing I think that companies kind of miss when you're talking about referral and advocacy. You get stuck in this cycle of only paying attention to your biggest, loudest. Like It's like the whole like squeaky wheel gets the oil, yep. the biggest, loudest customer. And look, I'm a talkative person. So I'm the person that very oftentimes gets too much attention at a meeting. And I've learned in my career to take a step back and say like, Wait, the quiet people in the room definitely have an the opinion. The number here. of Let's times make space for it. The number of times we've been in a meeting and Alex is like, I have a thought and opinion, but I'm not gonna share it. Because yeah, like someone else is in my first. hands and write it in my moleskin. And I'll just like else see talk. her like wanting to share it. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't always me. dominate the conversation. And the same goes yeah. for customers, right? So you pick like a subset of customers, ten to fifth, maybe like five to ten, but they're a variety, and you say, you know, what would be interesting to you? And then you sit down with the CFO. People, customer marketers miss the boat nine times out of 10 because they have no conversation with the people that sign the checks. Marketers nine times out of 10, I think, miss the boat because marketing historically does not have a good relationship with finance. Because we're a cost center. Yeah, we're we're not, we're an investment, okay? We're gonna give you a return, but it's so often- Yeah. And they're like, marketing has a goal that they didn't have input on, on forming. And now they're not hitting their goal that we gave them. And now they want more money. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So So sit down with the CFO. Sit down with the CFO. What can we do? Right? What can we give people in your mind? Because here's the thing. If you're going to go to sales, sales is already going to be like, we asked for this. We asked for this. We asked for this. We're not doing this. It's too much. But if you say, hey, here is two ways, right? Number one, here's how we're going to incentivize customers. Number two, here's how we're going to incentivize you. Because if you're talking referral in B2B, there's always going to be a rep involved. It's never just going to be uh, someone's logging in, buying frictionless, right? So if I'm a rep and I'm hearing referral, I'm hearing 
a client's probably getting a discount and an existing customer is already making an ask. So when I'm going to them for the renewal or an upsell, now I'm leaving cash on the table because they're going to be able to say, oh, I did this for you. Give me a discount. Yeah. Salespeople are coin operated. So become best friends with your CFO to make sure that there is some comp for your sales reps and or your CSMs, depending on who owns that upsell number, and some comp for the end customer. And then you start to piece together what a story could look like. But if you don't know what the financials are going to look like, or you have no idea where to even start on the financial side, it's an uphill battle, right? You're going to spend days talking to customers, getting feedback on things like that when you don't even... You could turn around to the CFO and the CFO could be like, your CAC's too high. You guys are spending a shit ton of money. I'm not doing anything with this because they're just thinking of the cost to the business, not the upside and the, you know, expansion of a TAM. Well, it's really, it's really a cost of, it's a cost of adding more revenue. So it should yes. really be incremental to revenue coming in where you're only, like, you're only paying out. I'm in this scenario, imagining you're only paying out if a deal converts, you're not paying for like an introduction or meeting, but still you're, exactly. you're spending that money to get revenue coming in. I was at a company and we created a brand new ad unit. Uh, <laughs> we convinced a bunch of people that you could sell ad space on your organic social media posts. And the way that we sold it in, cause we went to editorial teams and they have no budget. They have no budget. They None. don't, they don't care. They have no budget. They don't touch finance or not involved, but we went to the revenue side of the house and said, Hey, we have a new tool for you. You can charge, it's going to cost you about a $6 CPM and you can charge 40 to $50 CPM on it. And our fee, our fee just comes off that new revenue stream coming in. So it's no cost to you. We only get paid if you're selling it and you're making money on it. And they're like, Oh, no cost to us. No risk. Done deal. Fine. Right. Yeah. But you, you go. You go yeah. in on that side, it's a different experience with it. It's a totally different experience. But I also think, too, this is where it's, I think, the hardest struggle for customer marketing. We saw this a lot. And anyone who worked with us will answer this is because customer fun functions like this are so spread across the whole organization, it's really hard to decide where to focus on. Yeah. And you can do a lot of little things really badly. And I'm here to tell, I mean, I can tell you transparently and you can attest to this. I was one of those people, <laughs> right? Like you can do, you can talk upsell, you can talk cross-sell, you can talk referral, you can talk advocacy, you can talk expanding the base, expanding the TAM, you can do a research project on how, you could literally create projects for a customer marketing person depending on their skill set. You could create a new project every week. Yeah. But the long-term benefits of them are hard to see. And this is where another piece of a referral program becomes difficult is like, if you're talking about, and you know, I'm not a B2C person. I don't like B2C. I find it boring as all hell. But if you're talking about a B2B sales cycle with a 12 to 14 month sales cycle, how do you pay people on that? Yeah. How do you entice people in a referral cycle? I think the next big thing when you talk referrals is how do you how do you make referrals possible in a multi-touch attribution model? Because there's so many different parts of the sales cycle that touch the customer between that first their first engagement with your brand and that closed deal that 
how do you look at attribution and say, okay, these are the points where we need referrals. I, these yeah. are the points where we need customer storytelling. These are the points where we need to go on site with another customer, with their peer to sell versus a referral conversation yeah. in the very beginning. But of I feel the like your cycle. relationship with your customer is so important that in that scenario, you don't want to say, hey, we're actually not going to give you the referral because yeah, you did the intro, but these other points are more impactful. It's like, if you touched it, we have to comp you for it because we also want to make sure that you're happy and you're exactly. staying with us and you're renewing. The number of times I've heard a seller have asked for like an introduction to a customer for testimonial or for feedback or something and have the seller said, no, 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 we're like, we're too close to renewal. Yeah. It's like, well, if they're coming up on renewal and you know, they're liking the product. Can we put some incentive in their renewal? Like, can we still work together? Half the time it's like three months out. Half the year so, they're near renewal. <laughs> so this is actually a really good point in advocacy. Yeah. Like Or um, we didn't put one in there. Which Yeah. I, I'm also yeah. one to ask so, for forgiveness. When you're coming in and you're building a customer marketing program that includes referrals, advocacy, the whole shebang. Where do you start? Because it feels like there's so many components of it. And like you're saying, you could have a new project every week. Where yeah. do you start with building customer marketing? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is have a conversation, right? Like, and by conversation, I mean, you got to talk to the CMO or the VP of marketing. What's what's the biggest priority to them? Because ultimately, in, and actually, I shouldn't say in most companies. In some companies, customer advocacy does not sit with marketing. It yeah. can sit with CS. It can also sit with product. And it can also sit with like Corpcom and a bigger company where like marketing and brand have now separated a little bit. So whoever you report to, what is their most important priority? And I'll be honest, I, f I fell on this a little bit because I didn't agree with the business's most important priority. I agreed with the business's priority and I disagreed with marketing leadership's priority. And that's like the, the tough spot that I think a lot of us really get into. Tough. Yeah. And it made my job a lot harder. Well, and if you come in also um, like with quite a bit of experience in your function, the reporting into someone who doesn't necessarily have that same viewpoint isn't uncommon. You know, I think a yeah. lot of people listening can relate to that where they came into a new role and their boss was like, here's how to do it. And you're like, well, actually, that's yeah. wrong. <laughs> right. So, okay, let's take, let's back up. Advocacy usually is the number one reason people bring in customer marketing right? Or expansion. And how are you defining advocacy? Is it, uh, define it for our audience to make sure we're all on the same page. So advocacy is having customers, creating customers experiences to make customers become essentially like obsessive fans. So they are your advocates internally in their business and externally to the market. And there are a litany of things they can do to advocate. They can take analyst calls under NDA. They can take, I've seen customers take recruiting calls for companies. If they're trying to get a big engineer in the door and they're Ooh. like, we can't close yeah. this, talk to our customers. Case studies, which is like the very traditional yeah. version of advocacy, uh, video testimonials, they're on your customer advisory board, which we'll talk about in a little bit. A G2 review. Yeah. So really everything around getting customers to evangelize for you, to talk about mm -hmm. you, to sell for you almost essentially, you know, indirectly selling for you exactly. in various capacities. 
Exactly. And I think, um, okay, so you're coming in advocacy. The first two people I talked to is your head of sales and your CFO. How do you get the CFO to entice the sales team to close deals with approval to use a logo publicly without permission needed again? That's the most important part. The language in the contract cannot say with written approval can use our logo. Usually it says written approval in every instance. Wipe that. That's number one. Number two, if you're selling SaaS and the only agreement that people have is a checkbox, before you talk to the CFO, get online and read the EULA. No one reads the EULA, the end user license agreement. Make sure that EULA gives you 100% explicit approval to use their logo anywhere. That's the first thing. You talk to sales because you find out, you know, how, like, find out the friction in the sales cycle. Because if you have, a, like, if most of your deals are held up in negotiations, it's a lot harder to build advocates. Yeah. If most of your deals are held up in the demo phase because people don't really know where the product fits, eh, you can get around it. So find that out from sales and then look at the existing customer base. This is the worst job for any customer marketer. It took, if you have over a hundred customers, it's going to take you like a week. Read every single contract. Find out who you can use and who you can't. And then you work with sales ops and put it in Salesforce. So your goal is to understand who of your base is currently touchable. But then also I'm assuming you're looking at if it's a good story. Like, is it a logo we care about? Do we have some random ass company that no one cares about? We are are not as, no offense, random company. (laughs) Well, look, those random companies are great. If you have a product that, if you have a product that has the opportunity to go down market, one of the things that ostracizes a lot of accounts is you're only talking to Salesforce or Dropbox yeah. or they I mean, only see big no enterprises. One's ever say Apple. Yeah, yeah. Because those are the sexiest logos to yeah. use. But if you're trying to go down market, someone down market's going to be like, I don't care what JP Morgan's doing. Yeah. I mean, two weeks ago, they might have cared what SVB was doing, <laughs> but they don't care about them anymore either. But like, that that's kind of the next piece, right? Is like, how do you bucket out accounts to tell a story based on where you want your business to move? If you want your business to go down market, find those really sexy down market companies and stories and plaster them all over your website. If you're trying to grow large enterprise, spend a lot of time on those five large enterprise accounts to grow them. And this is where I say like, you have to talk to your head of sales. You have to talk to your CFO. You have to talk to your head of product because you have to understand what are their goals in growing the business because customers become a puzzle to growing that story and expanding the validity behind. Validity is probably the wrong word. Expanding the like advocacy for it essentially. So those are the two places I would start. The last place is you got to become best friends with your head of CS. You have to. They own the customer conversation post-close. They own the customer conversation in success. So if a customer, you know, they're really excited about the product and then their onboarding experience is awful, they're never going to give you a good testimonial. And a lot of times customers build really strong relationships with their CSM team or their professional services team because, or even support to some degree, if they're having conversations and they're not just like 
logging tickets in Zendesk. Because a lot of, in some circumstances, those are people that are just asking for a renewal or they don't even ask for any money. Yeah. All they do is provide value to the customer. Yeah. Well, and there, I mean, many CS reps that vendors I've used over the years have really, I've seen them as partners in my program success. I go back to RealWorks all the time, but I would come in and yeah. say, Here, here's what we're thinking for campaigns. What do you think? And they say, here's what we see customers doing. Here's ideas. They would bring us things to do to make our programs better. And so it wasn't just like, I'm using this technology to serve my display advertising. It's I'm using this vendor to partner with me to make my program successful. Yeah. Uh, and if that, like my CSM left at one point, he quit, went to a different company and it was devastating. And I was so nervous that our programs would tank. And I called up like his old boss. I was like, listen, like I'm not renewing. If anything goes bad, I want an introduction. I want someone senior. I want you on all of our calls. Yeah. While we branch. I was high maintenance with it, but it was critical to the success of my program that we had the right person on their side in the seat to make us successful. Yeah. And they see CS as a strategic partner to their success. Like you just said, yeah. like they build the justification, they help you build the justification for keeping an expensive platform in, for making a platform sticky, like all of these things. I think one thing that people miss going back to advocacy a little bit is people think it takes one touch. Never. They're like, oh, I'm just going to put a link in my signature to send people to uh, G2 to leave reviews. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. It's I mean, a I, lot of follow-up. It's kind of like sales. Yeah. I had, I can't remember who it was, but someone wanted us to do a G2 review. And I was like, yeah, we'll do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And like three weeks later, I didn't do it. So we got on the next call with them. They're like, hey, let's take 10 minutes right now. Can you just go write that G2 review? Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, and I did it. And like, of course, it's going to be a positive review. I'm also leaving it under distress, duress because I'm on the call with them. <laughs> but, and you feel guilty because you forgot to do it. Yeah, but if they, if they would not have made me on that call do the G2 review, I never would have wrote it. I never would have done yeah. it. I wanted to. I had good intentions. I'm just busy. Here's another thing, though, that people kind of forget, too, with advocacy is the amount of time it takes. And now working with clients, I'm like kind of looking at it more strategically. I will say this to customer marketers who are decent writers. If you're not a good writer, I don't even know what to say. I don't think I've ever done a customer case study interview to final draft in less than 15 hours. Wow. And if anyone tells you otherwise, I, I, their product is really simple. Yeah. And, and I would categorize you as an above average writer for context. Thank you for the compliment. But yeah, I would say 15 hours yeah. from prepping yeah. for the interview, listening back to the interview multi multiple times, trying to pull the snippets out, record everything, Zoom transcript is your best friend, and then also outlining, building the story. And this, 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 this portion of it does not include sending it to the customer for review. Yeah which is weeks, usually another three months of yeah. chasing. And then, and then you get it, you get it locked out and it's perfect. And then their legal team says, Nope, we don't, we don't, we don't do yeah. case studies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the French or you shows. have your team tell you it looks terrible. And you're like, you didn't review it six weeks ago when I asked you yeah. to. And by the way, I'm at the Liberty of the customer. Yeah. So, so, so you that, is one thing that, <laughs> that is one 
thing I will say that people miss is the amount of time it takes to do them. And it wasn't until recently that I really realized the amount of time I was taking. Cause I was always like, Oh my God, it's easy. I'm a good writer. I can just like whip this thing up. And now I'm like, you were never whipping anything up. It was yeah. always this long. You were just doing it at night because you were in meetings all day. <laughs> That's the quote of every marketer's life. I was on the other day, I had a ton of calls. I recorded some podcast episodes and it was like, I want to say 5.36 PM. And I was like, okay, time to start doing work. <laughs> I've started to learn if I don't do work between like 8 and 11 in the morning, it's not going to get done yeah. that day. I'm too fried by the end of the day. I get that. Um, speaking of fried, do you have a favorite piece of tech in your tech stack? That was a weird segue. It didn't work, but whatever. Trick, is this we did a trick it. question? No. Do you, or is there a piece of tech that you hate? I, I This feels like a trick question because Jess and I have completely opposite approaches to marketing tech stack. I am anti-tools. I know. Jess Actually, answers a tool. Or every problem has a tool to solve it. Yo, I got, I got um, a tool for that. Yeah. I'm anti-tool. Uh, as a marketer, my best friend, as a customer marketer, my best friends are using the tools that you have. So whatever your CS platform is single greatest piece of that's the best platform for a customer marketer to use. Um, it tells you everything going on in the account in real time Salesforce as well. The marriage of the two together is invaluable. There are some great tools built specifically for customer marketing, but you really have to have a leadership team that is aligned with customer marketing. There is one platform that I've done some work with that it makes your life a lot easier, and that's user evidence. They were founded by the guys who worked for Tech Target, not Tech Target, was it Tech Validate? Like, which okay. got bought by SurveyMonkey and has like shifted and shifted. The nice thing about user evidence is you can take customer testimonials and they do it for you in their platform. Going back to the data, they validate all the data for you. You don't have to do it. And then you can brand it. So that's one mm -hmm. thing where like, if you have, if you have a couple hundred customers and you have a design team, but you're like, I don't want to have to go to them to reformat everything. Like user evidence is great because they have the raw data for you to look at everything from like NPS to testimonials and all that but then they also turn it into snippets or they turn it into a case study or they turn like the platform allows you to create really, it's like Canva for customer marketing. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole additional topic for another episode is once you yeah. have a case study, what do you do? How do you get it out there on that side? Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. We originally were going to talk about cabin and a few other things. We ran out of time. So we're going to bump that to the next episode, which means if you have any questions for Alex about customer advocacy, marketing, how to build an impactful cab where you don't have a million people from your company on the cab itself, <laughs> drop <laughs> those in the comments below. Let us know and we'll make sure we get those on for the next episode. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I know. It's funny. We In the beginning of this, you talked about where to focus as a customer marketer. And I think this conversation justified, it's hard to say because <laughs> we talked about so many topics. Um, I think the biggest question for people around cabs that Jess and I will talk about next time I'm here is how to know if you're ready for one. Oh, how do you know if you're ready for one? Because a lot of people think yeah. cabs solve everything and they really don't. That's a great cliffhanger. Yeah.
So see you guys in the next one.